Hello, everyone. This is uh, Will Stevie and Samuel Webb, and we're going to be talking about the issue of theological triage today. As a quote to start it off, uh, we have a, from this great Protestant theologian, his name is Herman Bobink, and he says, the rise of sectarianism that has accompanied the Protestant movement is a dark and negative phenomenon. So we see this tendency from the Protestant Reformation onwards, and we're Protestants, and we we like being Protestants, we're convicted Protestants, but this there is this tendency in Protestantism to split and divide over increasingly little things. And so he's uh, just remarking on this, this phenomenon that he's seeing and saying that this is not a good thing. We should be pursuing more unity within Protestantism than we currently have. Next one, uh, another quote, a second quote, is in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. Um, a lot of people have said this, we aren't exactly sure who originally said it. A lot of people uh, attribute it to like Augustine or Luther, but it's really hard to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Truth. All right. Uh, before we even get into theological triage, we need to talk about truth and how we know truth, because um, one big thing is that things can actually be true. All right. So Christians believe in an objective truth. And so we're going to be talking about doctrines today. Right. So a doctrine is simply a teaching. All right, so it's a Christian teaching. That's actually where we get the word doctor as well. So when you get a doctorate, you're a doctor, you're a teacher. All right, and you teach doctrines, teachings. All right, so one thing we want to kind of highlight before we even get into the topic is nobody will have a perfect theology. Yes, there's objective truth. Yes, we have Christian doctrines, but no one perfectly knows it all. If someone perfectly knew everything, they'd be omniscient. But yeah. We don't have a perfect theology, so that's something we should kind of remember and enter into the discussion with humility. Um, that, hey, we don't have everything figured out. But in this talk, we're going to kind of lay out what things you should die for and say, hey, no, this is right. Mm -hmm. And what things you should be more humble with. Get into the actual concept that we're going to talk about this this idea of theological triage. It kind of comes from a I think it's originally from Al Mohler, the president of Southern Baptist Seminary. Um, but it's just this idea of Christians need Christians often major on the minors and minor on the majors, and we don't find the right hills to die on. It's kind of the claim, and so we need to be able to rank order our doctrines properly in terms of how important is this or how essential is this. And so it's this idea of triage is this idea of um, sort of a medical person in the field of battle, like a medical surgeon or something who's seeing war in front of him and he has to, they have to rank order how severe are the different injuries that come up. Because if they treat like a broken foot instead of the guy that just got shot in the neck, then they're not doing their jobs well as uh, doctors doing triage. And so it's, it's rank ordering and importance, the most essential or urgent things to fight for at that time. And so there are a number of different ways you can tier these out and, and rank these, but we have a, a four tier system for this presentation. And that's what we're gonna do for this talk. We find this helpful. Um, so we'll just go through a, a quick definition of what each of them mean, but essential, what we mean by this is that this is essential to the gospel itself. To get one of these doctrines wrong in this category is to not grasp the gospel fully. And so to basically be denying the gospel or this is you know, urgent, like sorely needed. We need to address this as essential. And I'm using different terms for that. <laughs> I'm already mixing terms. But uh, the next doctrine would be urgent. And there's actually a point in that, in that essential and urgent, the distinction is that essential means we are really actually questioning somebody's 
walk with the Lord if they are denying something like this. In the urgent category, we would say it's not unimportant. Urgent is still urgent for health and practice of the church. We would say that this needs to be figure this uh, doctrines in this category need to be sussed out in order for your church to be actually a defined like church, like what this church is, whether it's a Baptist church or a Lutheran church or whatever. So we would say that it determines your church um, would be a short definition, a quick way to think about it. Next would be important. So these are things that are important, but not enough to justify division. So people in the same church could disagree about important doctrines while not necessarily going to a different church because of it. And there are a number of things in that category that we'll, we'll go into. And then the last category we have are, are uh, speculative tier. So things that are interesting, but not extremely important to our gospel witness. And we just see this, uh, wanna have a note of caution for this whole talk is that when we're doing triage, it, we need to stay on the road. Um, and we kind of have this idea of there's kind of a ditch on both ends. There is this idea of being too fundamentalist or too sectarian in the sense of too willing to divide. And then there's this other ditch on the other end of the road of being too open-minded or too squishy with doctrine. So what it might, uh, a quote to kind of symbolize this is that, that there's no doctrine a fundamentalist won't fight over and no doctrine a liberal will fight over. And so we want to balance that out. We don't want to be one or the other in that ditch. Martin Luther compares human reason to a drunken man on a horse. So when he's propped up on one side of the horse, he'll inevitably fall over on the other side. So we need to try and fight really hard to be balanced in what we do here, not be overly sectarian and not be overly squishy with doctrine. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 25 talks about this, how Paul is exhorting Christians to not have any divisions within the body. And we would say that there's been too many divisions that have occurred over doctrines in the church that are due to pride and not holiness. Um, and there's also been times where Christians have properly fought for doctrines that really matter. And so that's our goal in this discussion. Yeah. And then the other word of caution is prone to othering. So mm. that would be like, we other people a lot. And we love to other people, as in we like to make some type of boundary or distance between us mm -hmm. that uh, distinguishes us from them, right? It's just something that humans do, humans like to do, and it's something we really shouldn't do in a lot of cases. All right, essential. We have a picture of C.S. Lewis uh, for this one because he really focused on this actually in his book, Mere Christianity. That's our last point, but uh, I'm, I'm gonna bring it up first. Um, so Mere Christianity, he really focused on what is essential to the Christian faith, as in to call yourself a Christian or a follower of Christ, what do you need to believe? And he, he wrote the book and in the introduction, he kind of talked about, hey, I sent this to a bunch of different churches and a bunch of different people and uh, churches of different beliefs, and almost all of them agreed with everything he wrote. Um, there was only like one or two people that made a couple comments mm -hmm. where he, they were like, yeah, I wouldn't word it that way. Where, well, the, his, his book, Mere Christianity, has lasted so long because it was such, it did such a good job at explaining what is essential. So for this set of doctrine, so essential doctrine, it would take courage and conviction. All right, so we need to have courage in this, as in we need to be willing to fight for these things and not back down, as in we can't be squishy with these ones. Mm -hmm. All right, and we need conviction, as in these are the things we should be convicted about, as in um, the Holy Spirit should work in our heart, as in if, if we don't believe these things or if our, if our heart isn't attached to these ideas, um, then there's a problem, right? So we should die on a hill for these doctrines. 
These are the most important doctrines. These are the core doctrines. So an example would be like the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Christ, or the doctrine of Scripture. Okay? Any of those would be essential doctrines. Also, we can see these in the ancient creeds. So the, the early church, and even we can see in, in certain places of the New Testament, people lay out the essential beliefs of the Christian faith, where it's just like a few sentences, tells you what Christians believe, and if you don't fall under that, you're not a Christian. All right, so we can use those as kind of a model, which is really nice. And um, this, this level of doctrine, it would distinguish Christianity from other religions. As in, it's really saying, hey, this is what makes Christianity Christianity and not other religions. So what, why is it Christianity and not Buddhism, pretty much? All right. Yeah, and the, on a point on the early creeds, it is actually a pretty good test, like on a broad scope of things to just check with a creed, whether somebody could affirm one of the ancient creeds. And automatically you're gonna be excluding like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, Jews, none of those people can affirm like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And I would actually say like a lot of progressive Christians couldn't affirm much of what's in the Apostles' Creed. Um, not all progressive Christians, but a lot of them would deny the reality of hell, for example, or at least water down hell to something that's far less than what we see in the Apostle mm -hmm. or Nicene Creator talks about Christ coming back to judge the living and the dead and for eternal punishment and eternal reward mm -hmm. for the blessed and the damned. So something like that would already be excluding lots of what we consider super mushy Christians that basically are not trying to be faithful to what scripture says about hell. Yeah. And this would pertain directly to salvation. So if someone did not believe one of these doctrines, we could say or assume or confront them about them not being saved. Some examples. Um, first one is deity of Christ. This could be an example of an essential doctrine. As in, like, what if someone believes that they are following Jesus, but then they say Jesus was not really God. He was just a person, just a normal human being, and that was it. There was no incarnation, no, um, like, it, it would lead to, well, it would lead to messed up doctrines about uh, redemption and the incarnation and the um, the atonement and salvation, right? Could we really say they were a Christian at that point, right? They they would have a completely messed up idea about who Jesus was, and we actually do see this with a lot of progressive Christians. It was it was um, there was a rise with the search for the historical Jesus, where there was a huge push for oh he was just a man. This is what the historical Jesus was actually like. He was just a moral teacher. This is it. Um, we see that a lot. That would be a essential doctrine where we could say oh someone actually isn't saved they believe jesus was just a regular guy another one is scripture all right there's a doctrine of scripture what do we actually believe about god's word so on one end it would be the bible is god's word so this would not have a lot of flexibility with interpretation but it would also push against culture all right now what a lot of people today would say, and again, progressive Christians say this a lot, but it would be the Bible contains the word of God, as in there are a lot of red letter Christians out there, as in if it's not in red letters, then it's not the word of God. Mm -hmm. um, but the red letters were something we added, right? So um, it would lead to picking and choosing in scripture of like, oh, I like this, but I don't like this. So I'm going to believe this about Jesus or God, but not this. So that would be like, watering down hell oh i like the salvation part and people being saved but i don't like people people being punished for eternity mm -hmm.
Now we're going to talk about our second tier, which we're going to call urgent. And again, that's the idea of it being urgent for the health and practice of the church. Um, and we would say that just because our salvation, we're not hinging salvation upon a, a proper grasp of this doc, these doctrines, doesn't make it less important. You can make a strong argument that most of the Bible is composed of non-essential doctrines, and imagine thinking that most of the Bible was unimportant. Uh, so clearly these are urgent, urgently important doctrines, and we would say that the two kind of marks that we need for this is wisdom and balance. So kind of knowing when to pick your spots and pick your battles on to when to fight for these things um, takes wisdom and balance. And we would say that this kind of goes into the issue of denominations. Um, so various issues like uh, what do you do and how do you treat and how do you administer the ordinances or the sacraments, like baptism and the Lord's Supper? What do you believe that they do? Do you believe that it's uh, simply a symbol? Uh, baptism is simply a symbol, or do you take it to mean more than that? Is it like a sign of the covenant? Is it something that actually regenerates people? These are different beliefs about baptism uh, throughout the church. So, and likewise at the supper, there's different views on that. So that would kind of determine what church you're going to. Um, church structure, likewise, how the church is actually governed, whether it's more of a congregational driven thing or whether it's more of a top-down uh, hierarchy, um, like we'd see with like Roman Catholicism. We would say that uh, the role of genders and uh, like women in leadership or women in ministry, the different roles of church um, leadership pertaining to men and women is something, an issue that would divide in, on this category of urgent, meaning it decides basically what, what church you're going to probably. Um, also that issue of continuationist versus cessationist. Uh, what do you do with the spiritual gifts will probably determine uh, what church you're going to go to. And then even perhaps the, the issue of soteriology, the issue of how we're saved um, in the sense of what's the role of man's will in that. So Calvinism or Arminianism, that is also an issue that could divide on this score. So not, someone, not something that makes somebody not a Christian, we would say, but an essential, <laughs> an urgent doctrine that needs to be figured out to determine what church you're going to go to. And so we would say that within this, we can have people that agree on the gospel, but they have very strong convictional differences. And we point to um, Acts 15, 19 through 20 to kind of show a demonstration of that, where there's in the early church these sorts of disputes. Um, I think this is between Peter and Paul and basically what to do with the Jews that are coming into the church and whether they should eat with them or not, eat with them or not. And then Paul kind of rebukes Peter. I believe that's Acts 15. I'm shooting from the hip here, though. So. <laughs> and then this idea of the visible and the invisible church. Um, so historically, Protestants make a helpful distinction between an invisible and visible aspect of the church. This goes back to St. Augustine, actually. And it basically means that there is the church as God sees it. So those who are actually united to Christ by faith, not including baptized hypocrites, and that there is the visible church, baptized Christians. So the visible church is just all baptized Christians or members of churches. And the real Protestant claim coming out of the Reformation is that the church is not restricted to one institutional body, but that there are true faithful Christians, meaning people that are true followers of Christ all over the place um, in different denominations and in different places. They just have different convictional differences on some of the issues that I talked about earlier. Yeah, and for and for Acts 15, it's it's about James, but we we just pointed that to as as one example, but there are plenty of examples where where Paul and his letters or someone in the New Testament says, "Hey, this isn't worth fighting this hard about." So like when Jews or early early Christians that were very heavily influenced by Jewish culture and traditions were like, "No, to be a Christian, you need to do this Jewish thing." 
Um, and Paul was basically like, hey, it's actually not that important. Um, it, we would say things like that, where we need to realize that, hey, it would be important for a denomination or like maybe this church wants to practice it that way. Awesome. But like, hey, someone else could still be saved. And so some examples of that, just going a little deeper, would be like the issue of gender roles or egalitarianism versus complementarianism. So this, uh, the idea that someone like John MacArthur, who would be definitely a complementarian, uh, believing that men and women are equal in value, but, but have different roles that are unique in the church and in the home. And someone like N.T. Wright, who I think is an egalitarian, I believe he is, um, viewing that women, basically there aren't any restrictions or limitations to their roles in ministry. Um, I would consider both of those men Christians uh, and not damned because of their beliefs there. And they could maybe attend a conference together or something like that, although they probably wouldn't. <laughs> they probably wouldn't today. Uh, those two guys are, are pretty far apart. Um, but they could, um, I think, both worship God rightly together um, and, and not be outside the bounds of um, whether they're actually Christians or not. Because not believing in complementarianism or egalitarianism is not the, the thing upon which your salvation hinges, is what we're trying to say there, even though it's an extremely important issue. Likewise, with baptism and spiritual gifts. So this is the idea that, like, ideally, a Lutheran and a Baptist and maybe an Anglican or a Presbyterian could walk into a bar together and basically have a good theological chat um, and share some commonalities and actually preach the gospel together. But then when they go back to their home churches, they're definitely practicing things quite a bit differently. We would say that it's not making one of them saved or not saved um, because they agree on the gospel, essentially. Okay, so now we're going to get into our third tier, which is what we call important doctrines. So this, these are doctrines that, again, are things that we could, within a church body, so like within Grace Church, we could have multiple people that disagree on these things and yet still go to the same church, worship together, uh, share the gospel together, do ministry together. And we would say that wariness and restraint are the kind of virtues that we need in this issue. I would say that these issues in this category are most often blown up to the category of first-rank doctrines that people divide and, and get hostile over when they shouldn't. And I actually believe that it's often more prideful and sinful to be dividing over issues like this than, um, than we realize. And we often turn third-rank doctrines into first-rank doctrines. So we see this especially um, like get preferences or sub-tribes within the church in regards to things like the end times or the days of creation, how we interpret the early chapters of Genesis, those are two, I would say, model examples of um, people increasing the importance of the doctrine to like a gospel issue. And I would say that that is uh, inappropriate in many instances. And so Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 speak about these things as well. Um, basically, people within a church disagree on these things. And so I think Romans 14 is talking about, Paul's talking about, um, meat offered to idols, and basically this idea of, if it's causing a brother to stumble, I'm not willing to divide over this. And I, I would rather pursue unity for the sake of comfort, comfortability on, on my end or something like that, because unity and, and uh, division in the body is a, is a worse sin than somebody getting something like this wrong, is the idea. So that's the issue that we see in, in 1 Corinthians, I'm talking about that, and then at the end of Romans as well. And so we need wariness and restraint with these issues. We have a couple of examples for this one, and because Will brought up the idea of people blowing this up to first tier, 
we picked examples that could be seen as first tier or third tier. All right, so first one is creation days. Third tier would be young earth, old earth, and theistic evolution. So that is something we would not break up over, right? So that's something that is, is really not essential or urgent, right? It's something we can talk about, it's something we definitely should talk about, but it's not something we would break up over or ha even have different denominations for. We would not have a theistic evolution church, an old, uh, an old age earth church and a young age earth church, right? We wouldn't do that. That would be ridiculous. But then it could be a first tier thing. So creation days could be a first tier thing if someone were to say, hey, the creation didn't happen. Or there is some type of dualism as in, God created good and evil. Well, we, we definitely don't hold that God created evil, right? Um, so, so it would be something like that where if someone were to make that claim about creation, we would blow it up to first tier. But if it was just like, oh, how old is the earth? Okay, that's gonna stay right here in mm -hmm. important. And that other example would be like dualism. If somebody were to basically um, believe that good and evil were these warring systems and God created both of them, and then it's kind of like a, a duking it out as to who wins in the end. Um, that was a early church heresy that was very common. And so we would actually, that was considered extremely important to get right way back in the day. That's not as much of an issue today. And then the next example would be like the end times. So we're kind of going beginning, beginnings and ends. Uh, but the end times is an issue that I would say more often than not gets blown up into something that it shouldn't get blown up into. Not that it's not extremely important, but it's often us making mountains out of molehills. So on the third tier side of things, um, the, the way that an end times issue would be a third tier issue, I think is more commonly, is when people divide over the millennium. So this interpretation of Revelation 20, whether uh, you take a pre-mill, mill or post-millennial view on that issue, and we're not gonna go into all that right now, but just this idea of people have different views about to, how to interpret that very difficult passage. And historically throughout the church, there's been lots of division on that issue in terms of different beliefs from different godly men and women. And so um, this idea is that we should not make that into a first tier issue when it often has been in, especially American evangelicalism has been, this has been like a first tier issue for people. Um, a way that the end times should be considered a first tier issue though, is if somebody denies other aspects of the second, or the end times. So if somebody denies the second coming of Christ, that would be a way more problematic doctrine that you're actually kind of assaulting the gospel there because you're missing sort of the culminating feature of the gospel. Um, or if somebody denied like a bodily resurrection at the end of times. So he's denying that people will be raised physically. I think that that's actually an essential element of the gospel. That if you're getting wrong, you have serious problems in your theology. And so we'd really want to address those things. That'd be first tier issues in our mind. Then we have our last one, which is speculative. So um, we are going to spend a ton of time on, on this, but it would be things such as do aliens exist according to the Bible? Or how many angels are there? Or are electric guitars okay for worship all right those are really just minor questions a lot of people wouldn't even answer them or care about talking about it um and at that point it would actually be sinful to divide over as in if you were like i'm not going to this church and gonna make another church because they aren't doing acapella hymns mm -hmm. but they are doing acoustic instruments or maybe you want acoustic instruments but hey someone brought an electric guitar to the worship team yeah that would be sinful to divide over it would just be breeding chaos at that point mm -hmm. um 
where, yeah, so speculative would be like, hey, it would be really cool to know, but it doesn't actually matter. Mm -hmm. And as sort of an application now at the end, uh, we think that this, learning how to do this, uh, sort of imperfect presentation of this, and there's a lot more we could go into, but just learning how to do this triage thing well uh, allows us to defend our convictions while avoiding we, what we would call the sinfulness of schism or over, being overly divisive. And I would think that, I think both of those things need to be preached, um, that we can't be overly divisive about things, but we also need to not be squishy on doctrine. So learning how to do that with, with different doctrines is super important. Another point is that salvation is not based on perfect theology. So actually, I think because we're saved by faith alone, the, the fact that we are saved by that and God accepts us um, through us trusting in the merits of Christ, um, because the gospel is beautiful and simple in that way, we can see that we won't be saved by having perfect theology or, or passing 100% on a theology test, which is a good thing. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not very important for us to get right because it's how we're talking about God. Um, and so I also think that the church needs to be a model of unity amidst differences as a witness to the world. So the way that we treat each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ, amidst theological differences is a huge witness to the world. And I think that Christians do a pretty bad job of this. Our world is extremely chaotic and the church should be a replicate, like a replica of Christ in the sense that we're a model of unity. Um, and we should learn how to disagree well in the midst of like Twitter arguments and Twitter mob fights that are just garbage dumpster fires. So the church should be a model of, of unity and loving disagreement, um, convictional disagreement, but also loving people well in the midst of that. And we often aren't like that, but I think we should pursue that as a church. And so that's kind of just a final thought to end on, uh, that we should pursue speaking the truth in love, defending things well, but also, um, yeah, knowing when to chill out a little bit about doctrine. That's it. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you found this helpful and hopefully it will um, prevent schism and chaos.